I'm Damian Bolwa. Today on Fifth and Mission, school vaccination mandates. Two of the biggest school districts in the Bay Area will decide next week whether to mandate COVID-19 vaccinations for all staff members and all students 12 or older. The districts are Oakland and West Contra Costa Unified, which includes El Cerrito, Richmond, San Pablo, Panol, and several other communities. The idea is to make these campuses safer as soon as possible, as the pandemic still continues to disrupt education. But the proposals are already stirring opposition ahead of those public meetings scheduled for next week. So, how are students, parents, and health experts reacting? Should these local districts make these rules rather than the state? And will some families already struggling through the pandemic be hurt further? I have two guests to answer these questions. Later in the show, I'm going to talk to Dorit Rice, a professor at UC Hastings College of the Law who's studied school vaccination mandates in the past. First, though, Chronicle reporter Rachel Swan joins me. Rachel, how are you? I'm good, Damien. Thanks for having me. Rachel, first the basics. What did these two school districts announce? They announced two policies that will be voted on next week. Tuesday in West Contra Costa and Wednesday in Oakland. Um, The West Contra Costa proposal is much more specific. It would require all staff and students ages 12 and up to get vaccinated. Staff would have to get their second dose by the end of October. Students would have until December 19th to get their second dose. All right. So these are public hearings next week. What do we expect? Uh, We expect some passion. I mean, this, Damien, this could be the beginning of a saga that plays out throughout the Bay Area. You know, a lot of districts right now are over. I mean, clearly schools, like every institution, has been overwhelmed by COVID since the beginning of the pandemic. But it's been particularly disruptive for schools, which tried to start Um, you know, normally in the beginning of the year, but every school is having outbreaks. West Contra Costa alone, they've had to close 18 classrooms. Um, You know, a lot of schools don't have the option to do distance learning for students who are quarantined. So they just get sent home with packets. And it's just kind of really messy for schools and teachers and families. And so this is kind of, I mean, one could call it maybe a desperate measure to just really get this under control, you know, like just force everyone to get vaccinated. But, you know, there's also I'm hearing a lot of opposition. A lot of people say, hey, you know, school districts shouldn't be the ones deciding this. Um, This is going to be unfair. They pointed out that um, some kids, it's really easy to get vaccinated. Other kids, it's maybe a lot more difficult. Some families don't have cars. They don't, they're not able to get the time off work. Um, they can't, don't have maybe even a computer to book an appointment. So this is really, um, I mean, I heard one person refer it, refer to it as creating another barrier for students who are already disadvantaged. So, I mean, it could be like a real barn burner, you know, it could be like a real conflict next week. Sure. Well, they would be among the first districts to do it. Uh, What about a couple of specific issues? I mean, we don't have full authorization yet uh, for kids to get vaccinated uh, from 12 to 15. Is that an issue that's being considered here? And also, you mentioned the the state issue. Are are some of these districts waiting for the state to act? Yeah. 
you know? I mean, it certainly appears that part of the design of these proposals, and I should say the the Oakland one in particular is written in a very, very general way. It doesn't have dates specified, and it basically just says we're seeking direction from the superintendent. I mean, it certainly appears that these districts are trying to pressure the state. And a lot of people have outright said, you know, we actually want the state to do this. We want the state to take leadership on this. It's certainly an issue that the state has led on in the in the past. All right. So I, I want to ask you about you. You and other reporters have been at, talking to health experts about this. What in general are they saying about a school mandate, just aside from all the politics? Yeah, so a lot of health experts are actually enthusiastic about this. I mean, as I said, um, you know, this COVID outbreaks have been incredibly disruptive for schools, but it's not just the outbreaks that are disruptive for schools. It's even like the testing. A lot of public schools, you know, including my kids' public schools, they have like these weekly pool testings where, you know, it's an opt-in thing, but it can suck up the entire school day. You might have hundreds of kids getting tested at a time. Um, It's been kind of a logistical nightmare for schools to even just track all these cases and kind of control the infections. So, I mean, that alone makes this very tantalizing, you know? I mean... Just so in general, in general, the more kids in general, it's a common sense approach. Yeah, it means less covid. And it also potentially means that schools will have to devote fewer resources to controlling the pandemic. Gotcha. Gotcha. I want to ask you about two members of the Oakland school board that you spoke to and they were on opposite sides of this, right? Exactly. The first person I spoke to was um, school board member Sam Davis. He was the person who introduced the proposal last week at the school board meeting. And, you know, I mean, he basically said what what one would expect, that COVID has been out of control. It's been difficult to manage. Um, you know, this would be a really good thing for the district. And it was sort of, in a sense, forced people to, you know, just create a much, much higher vaccination rates among students in Oakland. Um, but I also spoke to school board member Mike Hutchinson, who was kind of silently shaking his head while this was being introduced last week. So you could kind of, you know, they didn't take comment at that time, but you could tell he had something to say. Um, so he, when I talked to him today, he cited a bunch of problems with this mandate. He did acknowledge that it's well-intentioned. Um, but he pointed out first off, you know, there's no real mechanism for enforcing it. So there's some logistical problems, like how can you, um, you know, how, how do you ultimately determine who's vaccinated and who's not? Um, but also, you know, it creates more barriers for kids who are often the most disadvantaged anyways, you know, the kids who, um, the families in Oakland who tend to uh, are less likely to be vaccinated are often low income, people of color. They may have reasons to distrust the medical establishment. Um, They may not have as easy a time 
accessing vaccines for what for any of the reasons we enumerated, like they don't have cars or they can't book appointments or what have you. Um, so he kind of said, like, what are we going to do? You know, like force all these people to pull their children out of school. You know, it's that's just very isolating, you know, and um, he saw this as very much about optics in a way that um, it's not really something that is an effective policy for a local district to be doing. You know, it's more about political optics and really the state. Again, he was saying, actually, ironically, just like the sponsor was saying, that this should be something that the state does, not the local schools. All right. Gotcha. Well, Rachel, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much, Damien. Really appreciate it. Let's take a quick break. When I come back, I'll talk to Dorit Rice, a professor at UC Hastings College of the Law, who has studied and written about school vaccination mandates. We'll be right back. You can support Fifth Emission and the newsroom that creates it by signing up for unlimited access at sfchronicle.com slash pod or by downloading the San Francisco Chronicle app. Welcome back to Fifth and Mission. I'm Damian Bulwa. My next guest today is Dorit Rice. She's a professor at UC Hastings College of the Law, and she's studied and written extensively about school vaccination mandates. Thanks for joining me, Professor Rice. Thanks for having me. So, Professor, the new news, which is sort of coming now in ways, is that school districts are starting to put in vaccination mandates for both not only staff but students and also start to consider it, and there's some big meetings coming up next week. Are you surprised to see school districts in California doing this now? I am surprised. And the main reason I'm surprised is that so far, school vaccination in California have been a state issue. I didn't expect a district to go on their own. In fact, when I was asked about it, I said, I think there are some real legal problems that would prevent districts from going on it without state action. Well, tell us a little about that. What's the difference between doing it locally with the school boards versus at a state level, which I think happened at the in the in the big measles debate several years ago. So the challenge for school district is that California already has a very detailed immunization law for schools. And there's a potential claim by opponents of the mandates, and there's definitely going to be opponents that because the state has already acted on this, local school districts do not have the power to change or deviate from the state law. Now, there's a counter to that, which is local school districts have extensive power under the law, and they will push back and say, we have powers. There's nothing saying expressly we can't do this, so we can. But opponents certainly have an argument that the state has already regulated this area in detail, and it has to be state action. So you're saying that all the work the state has done, the the, the challenges that they have uh, sort of fought off in the past, including on measles, now may be an argument for people who don't want the locals to do it. That's exactly right. They'll say, this is something that the state normally does. It's not for you to do. Okay. I want to ask you about sort of the pros and cons of this, getting a, a little bit aside of that, that state-local issue. I mean, what are the big arguments for doing this, for pushing it? pretty quickly. So the big argument is that we have a real problem. Our problem is that Delta is raging. Our problem is that uh, the vaccines are very effective, but uh, young children can't can't get them. So we have a population in the schools that's not going to be vaccinated. And to protect our uh, children from COVID and to keep schools open, 
Uh, we need everybody that can be vac- vaccinated to be vaccinated. That's the big argument for it. We're already seeing in some schools that there are exposures to COVID or even cases of COVID, and that can lead to school closures or at least disruption. And that's not good uh, for anyone. It's actually might be even worse to have a school that's open but disrupted repeatedly by COVID than to have a virtual school because that really interferes. So the argument is it can help prevent closures. It can help uh, uh, prevent disruptions of education and it can save lives and prevent harm by preventing COVID cases. On the other side are several concerns uh, besides the legal concern. First of all, uh, we can... Vaccines for uh, children have just been authorized since May for the 12 to uh, 15 group. This is new. We don't have as much data about that group as we have about the adults. Uh, we, don't, we, we may find out other risks that we don't know about. Is it really time to go ahead and mandate the vaccines yet? Of course, those that support the mandate will push back and say, we already have enough data to know that the risks of the vaccines are almost certainly substantially smaller than the risks of COVID, even in that age group. That age group may have less hospitalization and death from COVID than older age group, but they still see harms and the harms are very real. Another concern is that this may lead to children being pulled out of school uh, who don't have really good learning environments at home and don't have parents that can support them through homeschooling, and that will harm those children in their education. So there are real concerns with on both sides. So specifically the fact that we don't have full authorization yet for this sort of adolescent group, is that is that an issue in terms of, of the boards actually being able to be successful? It is. Uh, so out of this group, there's actually two groups that are affected here. The 16 to 18 have a vaccine that's fully licensed. But the 12 to 15, as you're saying, only have a vaccine that's under emergency authorization. And there is an open legal question whether you can mandate a vaccine under an EUA. It has two parts. Part one, the EUA law says that the Secretary of Health has to inform recipients that they can accept or refuse a vaccine. And some people, including some very serious people, interpret this to mean if you can accept or refuse a vaccine, You can't mandate it. Other people, and I'm of that later camp, say since the law only speaks to the secretary and not to schools or employers or other people who have mandated vaccine before, it's not a limit on mandating. But it's still an open legal question. It has one core decision supporting mandates under an EUA, but not in schools, in employers. It has one opinion by the very respected Office of Legal Counsel in the federal government, but it doesn't have a lot of precedent and there's not a clear answer. So it is a legal risk to mandate vaccines under an EUA for children in schools. All right, I want to get into something a little deeper that that you talked about, about people who might not have good remote learning environments. How much would, would a court that's that's weighing on on whether a school can do this, look at the amount of people who might actually pull their kids out of school. Would that be a factor, the threat of a lot of families not sending their kids to school? Not directly. But, uh, so we, we went through that in the litigation around SB 277 in 2015. And the argument, one of the arguments there was a lot of people will pull their children out of school. I will say that in practice, the experience is that most people under a strong mandate, vaccinate and don't pull the children out, uh, but some will. So it's not directly that 
there are a lot of people who will pull the, the uh, children out. But the fact that the uh, law may have equity implications will affect the analysis. Courts generally are very differential to um, policymakers on school immunization requirements because they're on very strong legal grounds. School immunization requirement protects two people, the child that may not be vaccinated without them, and the community, the school's shared environment. So courts give policymakers a lot of leeway to make them, but the school mandates still have to be reasonable. And the argument would be that uh, with potentially debatable benefits and potential equity costs, these may not be reasonable. I want to just go back quickly to 2015, this this measles outbreak that people probably remember. It's known as the Disneyland outbreak. What did we learn through the legislation that happened that led to to now these these vaccine mandates for measles? What did we learn there that can tell us about whether this will be successful and what the reaction is going to be in these school communities? A really important lesson we learned in 2015 is that vaccine mandates uh, generate a lot of opposition. And it's probably going to be bigger here because even parents who are not generally anti-vaccine may have concerns about a very new vaccine. Uh, So going forward with this would lead to strong pushback and aggressive pushback even if the opponents are a minority, and they're likely to be a minority in the Bay Area, uh, they're going to be very vocal and sometimes aggressive. So that's one lesson. Another lesson is that if the mandate does pass, probably most people will vaccinate and move on. Uh, A third lesson is that uh, you need politicians that know the material to be able to do that. You, uh, in 2015, one of the advantages was that Dr. Senator Pan, who uh, led the bill, uh, was a pediatrician who knew the science on this and could address it. Uh, in, in this case, the districts are smaller. They may not have as big an opposition and the communities are more, uh, more uh, monolithic, uh, less diverse probably in terms of... Uh, different political views, etc. But you still need people who know what they're doing, know the answers to potential issues that come up, and you need to be ready for aggressive opposition. But that issue did die down and we got through it. It did, yes. All right, Professor Dorit Rice, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. Thanks to my guests today, Chronicle reporter Rachel Swan and Dorit Rice, a professor at UC Hastings College of the Law. Thanks also to King Kaufman for producing this episode, and thank you for listening. <laughs>